your blessings, and we do pray now that you would speak to us through your word, speak to our hearts and our minds, and may you be glorified, may your people be blessed, in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray, amen. I want to turn your attention once again to our text for today, uh, Acts chapter 4, and I just want to read uh, a couple of the verses that have already been read. And that's verses 33 and 34. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked that is who had need for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. I want to preach today from the subject, Biblical Giving, Guidelines for Sharing Our Resources. Biblical Giving, Guidelines for Sharing Our our Resources. And I felt compelled today as we are still in the first month of a brand new year, the year 2018, to preach about biblically based giving and also felt compelled about to preach about giving because as your pastor, I have been asking you to give and you have been rising to the occasion and you have been giving. We ask you to help the church in Tortola to to build a new roof after that congregation was devastated by the storm. And then just last week, I asked you to give to to build wells in Uganda to provide fresh, clean drinking water and water for people to to wash and to bathe that in that was not contaminated. And then our church gives to uh, the Florida Baptist Convention uh, to help with that ministry. And then we give, who in turn gives to the Southern Baptist Convention, and we uh, support missionaries, this church, all around the world through our giving uh, through our convention, and then we give locally through Christ cold clothes and cake, and then we give through Angel Tree, and then we give through our benevolence committee. To committee, and so this church gives, gives, and gives, and here it is in two, 2018. Pastor has a- asked you to continue to give, and so it's only fitting that as we move towards 2018. With all of this giving that I preach about biblical giving guidelines for sharing our resources, sharing the resources that God has poured and continues to pour into the Good Hope Church. I believe that Acts chapter 4, 32 through 36 presents an outstanding example of what biblical giving looks like. The text tells us the early in early days of the church when persecution uh, was running rampant for those who followed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When they were persecuted, many of the people, church members, those who had trusted Christ, if you will, as Lord and Savior came together and they pooled their resources to help those who were in need, those who had did not hoard what they had to themselves, did not stockpile what they had to them for themselves, but also they came together to help other brothers and sisters in Christ who had needs. From their giving, 
I want to lift three principles that should be a part of our story if we want to follow biblical substantiated guidelines for giving. So let's examine the text. First, biblical giving must involve responsibility. Write that down. Put that in your mind. Biblical giving must involve responsibility. To begin with, we must come to the task of giving fully aware of the fact that we don't own anything. And that everything we possess really belongs to God. The house where you live, it belongs to God. The vehicles we drive, they belong to God. The clothes we wear, they all belong to God. Notice verses 32 of the text. Verse 32 of the text. All believers were were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. The members of the early church understood that they possessed things, but owned nothing. They were fully aware of the fact that although they held perhaps legal titles and documents on houses and land, they were only stewards or managers of the things God owned. They had that mindset. The words of a familiar song usually sung during offering, the offertory segment of worship captures the essence of this truth through the following lyrics. What shall I render? Unto God for all his blessings. God has everything and everything belongs to him. What shall I render? What shall I give? King David reiterates the reality that all we have come from God's in his praise to God. In 1 Chronicles 29 verses 11 through 14, David stated, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. Notice his word for everything in heaven and earth is yours. David, a mighty king, man after God's own heart, stood over riches, houses and lands, had the audacity to say the presence of mind to know that everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are ruler of all things. In your hands are strength to all now. Our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But now notice David's humility. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? David considered it a great blessing to be in a position 
to give generously to others. Everything comes from you, he said, and we have given you only what comes from your hands. In other words, when I give, I'm only giving to others what God has given and put into my hand. As David candidly points out, we own nothing. It all belongs to God. Yet God in his gregarious greatness, in his spectacular splendor, in his marvelous mystification, allows you and me to manage a segment of his personal financial account. How about that? Yet along with the awesome privilege of managing God's personal financial account, comes the responsibility of being wise in how we administer God's money. It is our sacred assignment to ensure that when we give, when we donate, when we contribute, or when we award God's money to a religious person or organization, we have put forth our best effort to know and understand the goals, the objectives, the core values, the needs, and most importantly, the beliefs and practices of those to whom we give. Now, some people live by philosophy that says, and I've heard it, I just give. Whatever the person or group does with the money is between them and God. But here's a truism. That's exactly the way con artists and charlatans and cheaters and swindlers and deceivers want people to think. Wolves in cheap clothing. Harlins, religious con men and con women target people, especially church people, who refuse to ask the tough questions, refuse to do their homework, and refuse to adequately scrutinize potential recipients of God's money. They view such givers as gullible. An easy prey for exploitation. Now, growing up in Columbia, South Carolina, I lived near some projects, but several projects, but one in particular was a project called Saxon Homes. Saxon Homes were red uh, brick apartments, most of them two-story apartments, and they were designated as low-income housing. Low-income housing. People in Saxon home, many of them were my friends, boys and girls. We went to school together. And many did not have much money. I vividly remember to this day a man coming into our community and putting up a large tent in Saxon home where he had religious services for a few nights. And every night he took up a collection from the poor people who lived in and around Saxon homes. And I know many of them were poor because 
Many of them uh, were, were my classmates, and many of them were, 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 were on subsidized lunches at school and on the free lunch program. But that's where he collected offerings. When this man left our neighborhood, we had no idea where he had come from, where he went, or what he did with the monies we placed in that collection basket. We had no idea. Maybe he did right or maybe he did wrong. Maybe he was a real man of God or maybe he was a scam artist. We don't know because we fail to do our homework. Thus our giving, as well intentioned as it was, was irresponsible. So it is the first principle concerning biblical giving is responsibility. The second principle in biblical giving Given is, get this, credibility. Credibility has to do with the trustworthiness of the people or organization to whom we are giving. In other words, before we give, it behooves us to ask questions such as, when I give this money, does the recipient have a proven track record of honesty, of integrity, of sincerity? when it comes to the utilization of funds. What kind of reputation do they have? Notice the scripture text in Acts 4, 34 34 and 35. There were no needed persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them. Notice what they did. They brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet. Now, who were the, uh, the apostles? Who were these preachers? Who were these religious leaders? Who were these disciples of Jesus? They were men with credibility. They had stellar. Stellar reputation. They had been with Jesus. Verse 33 states, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace, get this, don't miss this, and much grace was upon them. That means that God was blessing the efforts of the apostles, these preachers, these disciples, these men of God, in ways that everyone could see that God's favor was upon them. They were preaching. They were teaching. They were healing. They were counseling and carrying out their work, their duty, their service in a fashion that brought glory and honor to God and in a way that blessed the people of God tremendously. And verse 33 lets us know it. That's credibility. Unlike the man in Saxon home who came with a lot of lip service but no track record of life service. We didn't know where he came from. We don't even know where he went. He came talking a good game, but 
there were no efforts produced by him that would represent that God's grace or God's favor was even upon him or his efforts. In fact, when he left, there was no spiritual change, at least in my friends and I. There was no social improvement. There was no economic development. And there was not even a greater sense of hope or encouragement for our friends and I and myself, my friends and me, even though he had been there and collected an offering. But as the text points out in verse 33, when the givers, the stewards, the managers of God's money laid it at the feet of the apostles, they were not turning the money over to shady individuals that they did not even know with questionable moral character. They were not flippantly providing revenue to everyone who showed up claiming to have legitimate needs. They were not responsibly contributing to shady characters with seeded track records. No, when they laid that money at the apostles' feet, they were placing God's monetary resources into the hands of men whose resumes of righteousness could stand up to the scrutiny of the toughest critic. For you see who the apostles were, what they did, and how they did it could be validated, could be authenticated, could be substantiated, could be corroborated without a problem. Run a background check on any of them. And it would come back squeaky clean. For example, prior to the setting of today's text in Acts chapter 3, a crippled beggar met Peter and John at the temple gate called Beautiful. As the story goes, the beggar asked Peter and John for money, and Peter and John looked at the man, and Peter spoke, silver and gold. I do not have, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, walk. The Bible states in Acts chapter 3, verses 7, 8, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Verse 8 explains that he jumped, the man jumped to his feet and began walking. This is God showing up in the life and through the life of the apostles. Then the man went with them, the text says, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This is God showing out. In the life of the apostles. Now watch closely. Here is the authentication. The verification. Verification. And the substantiation. Verses 9 and 10 states. When all the people saw him walking. And praising God. They recognized him as the same man. Who used to sit begging at the temple. Called 
beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is that the proof was in the pudding. The credibility of the apostles, of the preachers, of the pastors, if you will, and their ministry was confirmed through the power of God. That's credibility. The people did their homework. They saw for themselves that the apostles were authentic. They were genuine. They were real. How did they see it? Because everyone knew Cripple man had really been a cripple man. Help me, somebody. He had really been a cripple man and not some fake plant produced to pro- plant used to produce a fake miracle by a fake minister. Why is credibility so important? It's because, as I've told you before, church, religion is a lucrative market. And there are practitioners in the marketplace who roam to and fro looking for naive individuals, unsuspecting groups and congregations to take advantage oh Jesus referred to them as wolves in sheep clothing a harlot the objective of wolves and and harlots is not the feeding of sheep but rather the fleecing of sheep many of you have read heard at least the statement let the buyer beware but here's a truism let the church Beware. Let Christians beware. Let the church beware of wolves in sheep clothing, con artists, slicksters, who are always on the lookout for gullible prey, people whose niceness, kind-heartedness, and compassion they can take advantage of. False prophets like Jim Jones, David Koresh, Father Divine, Daddy Grayson, and, and others are still finding their way into the religious marketplace and collecting big, big, big dividends. The biblical model for giving challenges each of us to do our homework and give only where credibility has been fully established and don't feel guilty about it. Third and finally this morning, third principle in biblical giving is accountability. To be accountable in our giving means that we should know how the money we give is being used. Now, when I came to you last week, one of the things I tried to do, and even with Tortola, is to share with you, this is how the money will be used. To be accountable is means that we should know 
how the monies we give are being used. Notice what happens in verse 35 of the text. After the money was put at the apostles' feet, the text states, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Right here in the text, right here in verse 35, is the principle of accountability. Everybody who gave money knew exactly how the money was being spent. There was no question in anyone's mind how every red cent of the money they gave was being spent. Everybody knew where it was going. For the text says, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Anyone in the body that had Need, all of the brothers and sisters that had need. Well, everyone who contributed to the ministry of the apostles knew that God's, where God's money was being spent. They were able to trace it to the cause for which it was given. Now, here at the Good Hope Church, we believe in biblical giving. And we are well aware of the reality that we are accountable to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. We are accountable to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are accountable to him and we will answer to him. Remember, reminded of the text in Matthew 25, where Jesus said to the sheep on his right hand, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in need of clothes, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came to see about me. Those givers. Those believers going about doing what God asked them to do, ask the question, when did we see you in need and help you? And the king said, when you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. But on the other hand, to the goats who refused, to utilize God's money, to be helpful. He said to them, when you did not do it unto me, you failed. When you did do it unto the least, you failed to do it unto me. So we are uh, 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 accountable to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will answer to him because he is the head of the church. He suffered and bled and died on Calvary's cross to pay our sin debt. He rose uh, to victory on Sunday morning with all power given unto him, and he will return to judge all humanity. The church and all its resources belong to Jesus. But second, we are accountable to the congregation, to the Good Hope Church family. 
I just want to reiterate that again in 2018 that we are accountable. The pastor, the finance ministry, the the leaders, we are accountable to this congregation. We must answer to you for how monetary resources are distributed. That's why at our annual vision meeting, the financial secretary gives a financial report to the church. In addition to that, we have an open book policy here at Good Hope, which means that our receipts as well as our expenditures are available for members who choose to review them. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Even pastors' compensation is open to any member of the church who wants to know what it is. I've instructed the finance ministry that, that, that certainly that's not off limits. Any member can know what Pastor Pickett's compensation is because we are accountable to you. Third, we are accountable to the IRS. Don't miss that. Since God established the government to exercise rule in society, we must, as Jesus says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And none of this business about I'm the church and our, our money is separate and private and all of that nonsense. No, we are accountable to our as Jesus makes it clear. We are to function properly under the law as it pertains to our financial dealings. Remember, accountability is a part of biblical giving. As Christians, we are, to the best of our ability, whole religious leaders, organizations, and institutions accountable for what they do with the Lord's money after we give it. So here's the challenge as we move forward. In 2018, here's your mission should you choose to accept it before you sow seed into anybody's ministry, be it in Dallas or Houston or Chicago or Atlanta or Bartow or Lakeland or anywhere else. Do your homework. Call or write them and ask them for their annual budget and financial report. They're asking you for money. You certainly can do that. What is your budget and financial report? How much of this money is actually being used for a ministry and how much is it overhead for salaries and other things of that nature? You can do that. And then ask them this question. Do you belong to a Christian financial Nonprofit organization such as the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability, which was founded by Billy Graham. Just ask him, what, who are you accountable to? Now, ministries like Charles Stanley, In Touch Ministry, Tony Evans, The Urban Alternative, Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Christian Living, and John MacArthur's Grace to You all belong to the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability. I checked it out before I brought this to you. Yeah. 
you can even tell them that your pastor said. In the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 35, everybody knew how God's money was being spent. And if they send it, the report to you, and, and you're prayerfully satisfied with the result, write the check or swipe your card. But if they refuse to send the report, stay as far away from them as you can because either they are too lazy to follow up on you or they don't consider you a donor worthy of the extra effort or they have something to hide. Stay away from them and then consider yourself blessed because you have not been duped by some silver-tongued con artist who tips more at dinner than you make it an hour who sleeps in while you get up early and go to work, who lives in some lavish mansion with chef and maid service, who cruises on luxury liners soaking up sun in exotic places or even buy multi-million dollar airplanes on dollars given by hard-working church folk who say things like, it's up to them to do the right thing once I give. Father, we thank you for the resources that you allow to come into this church. May we always, without exception, use your money your resources in a way that will bring your name glory and honor and a way that will help your people locally and globally in Jesus' name.